If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome to Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Today, we wrap up the Faces of Our Faith sermon series in which we've explored overlooked or ignored stories in the biblical narrative and lifted up characters that remind us of our role in shaping God's story. Will you pray with me? We have been praying for the people of Ukraine for months, Holy One. We are still praying for their protection for those who have already made the ultimate sacrifice in defense of their home, for those who don't know if they should stay or leave, for the children whose core memories now include explosions and gunfire. We pray, too, for those who can make this stop now, because we know it's possible. We know because that's how it works in our daily living. We can stop attacking, acquiring, bullying, hoarding, threatening, and committing violence. So we pray for those who can stop this now to stop this now. We do not understand our prayers as magic or the answer. We understand prayer in the words of Madeline Ingle, as an act of love. In a moment when we don't know what else to do, this is something we can do without ceasing. So for the people of Ukraine, relentlessly we pray, amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them and saying farewell, he left for Macedonia. When he had gone through these regions and had given the believers much encouragement, he came to Greece, where he stayed for three months. He was about to set sail for Syria when a plot was made against him by the Jews, and so he decided to return through Macedonia. 
He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Phyrus and Berea, by Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, by Gaius from Derbe, and by Timothy, as well as Tychicus and Trophimus from Asia. They went ahead and were waiting for us in Troas, but we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we joined them in Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we met to break bread, Paul was holding a discussion with them. Since he intended to leave the next day, he continued speaking until midnight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were meeting. A young man named Eutychus, who was sitting in the window, began to sink off into a deep sleep while Paul talked still longer. Overcome by sleep, he fell to the ground three floors below and was picked up dead. But Paul went on, or went down, and bending over him, took him in his arms and said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Then Paul went upstairs, and after he had broken bread and eaten, he continued to converse with them until dawn. Then he left. Meanwhile, they had taken the boy away alive and were not a little comforted. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Well, according to the text, once upon a time there was a pastor who preached so long that a man fell asleep and then fell out of the window of the church and died. <laughs> it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know why we don't tell this story in church. <laughs> and when I say we don't tell this story in church, I mean we really don't tell this story in church. The lectionary does not suggest one time, not one single time, that the preacher read this story to the congregation. I mean, because what exactly are we going to say about it? Well, as sometimes happens, the preacher for the day went a bit long. Despite having well over a hundred hours of theological education, a third of which centered on biblical interpretation and proclamation, I can't remember this story being brought up in seminary. Ever. To be fair, the philosophy of my preaching professor, the Reverend Dr. Richard Ward, was preach so that they wish you had said more instead of them wondering when you're going to wrap it up. <laughs> Indeed, when is he going to wrap it up may have been the last thing poor Eutychus wondered before he drifted off. Paul did not notice he was trying to say all the things he felt like he needed to say to the church in Troas before leaving the next day. And in Paul's defense, a phrase I hardly ever use, but in Paul's defense, it may have been that he didn't know what he could leave out, what could be left on the cutting room floor. And perhaps he had already prepared a liturgy and sermon for that day, a message he knew he, that church needed to hear. And then something else happened that needed to be talked about, or several things happened that needed to be addressed. 
And none of it felt like it could wait until the next time, including the originally planned sermon. Maybe Paul had had a week like ours, where things just kept piling on top of one another. Ukraine, the news out of Texas. How does it all make it into the sermon without doing exactly what Paul did, speaking until midnight? As my colleague, the Reverend Phil Snyder, recently said about preachers, we face so many catastrophes now, one after the other, and the number of times we've had to completely scrap Sunday plans in order to address the latest weekly crisis is off the charts, so much so that we've gotten used to it, that this is a new normal should give us all pause. None of us were built for this, clergy and otherwise. It's more than anybody was ever supposed to carry. So if you are feeling exhausted and tired, that's okay. If you are feeling, feeling overwhelmed, that's okay too. It's not a sign that you are weak. It is a sign that you are a human. And it's a sign that you love deeply. For what is grief if not love persevering? So today, as we work through this text together, our grief will sit beside us, informing our interpretation and affirming the truth that how we treat each other, what we fight for and fight against, whether we wage war or wage peace on our smaller scales, does in fact shape the world in ways we cannot see, even all the way across the world in Ukraine. So perhaps, this is what made Paul preach multiple overtimes. Luke says he prolonged his speech until midnight and Eutychus sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And it was funny, something for them and for us to giggle at, until it's not. The humor suddenly turned to tragedy when Eutychus fell to the ground three floors below and was picked up dead. Tragedy tends to come up on us like that. We are at church or at school or at work or at home and things are going along as usual. Then someone slumps forward or a cry goes up. There is a shock and tragedy engulfs the flow of the ordinary, death arrives. The word is like a gavel coming down, a banging door, banging shut, the end, dead. We are suddenly rendered speechless, immobilized. Death does that to people. It is easy to feel that way now with so many things, so many tragedies, personal, public, private, globally, locally, all happening at once. This is true no matter the kind of death we experience. When we realize the marriage is over and with it a particular life we imagined, or a third negative pregnancy test, one that means we're, we're not gonna try anymore a pink slip, a rejection letter, a heart attack, a betrayal, tragedies that take our breath away. 
but our story speaks when we cannot. So let us listen for a word different than what we'll hear on NPR or watch on Meet the Press or read from the Associated Press. When I wondered if Paul was trying to address more than standard preaching time allows, it wasn't just a random guess or a hopeful reframing of his situation to make it fit ours. It was extrapolated from the story just before this one that starts in chapter 19 where we are told about a riot that breaks out while Paul is in Ephesus. That's the uproar referenced in the first verse of the text we read today. After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. It is at this point that we start to notice Paul's mission, what he is doing. Over and over again, Luke describes Paul's ministry as encouragement. In the first verse, after the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them and saying farewell, he left for Macedonia. What does Paul do in Macedonia? More encouragement. When he had gone through those regions and given the believers much encouragement. The word translated encouragement means literally with strength and is frequently used to describe the work of giving consolation and comfort to others. This is the theme of Paul's ministry throughout the book of Acts, encouraging or strengthening, consoling, and comforting the early church, and it needed much encouragement. But But then there's the story, and Paul's encouragement ministry seems to be interrupted so that Paul can perform a miracle and we can know how important Paul is. We are tempted to dismiss this story as another miracle that can't possibly have actually happened or able to be replicated, but how Desperately, we need to be reminded of who we are as a community of faith when tragedy strikes. And this story tells us. But Paul went down and bending over him, took him in his arms and said to the grieving church, Do not be alarmed, for there is life in him. This is not the performance of a spiritual magic trick but a profession of faith in crisis. But Paul went down and bending over him, took him in his arms and said, do not be alarmed for there is life. Into the fixed immobile deadness of things, writes theologian Will Willimon, comes a tender embrace. The embrace is modeled after the dramatic stories of Elijah in 1 Kings where the prophet embraced and resuscitated the dead son of the widow and Elisha's reviving of another widow's son in 2 Kings. So too, Paul interrupts the accustomed fixed flow of things to reverse the normal flow of life to death to death to life. Like the prophets before him, Paul has demonstrated an alternative reality that that destabilizes our expectations for the way the world ought to work. Where we expected the embrace of death, we encounter the embrace of life. 
where we expected a church service to turn into a funeral, Paul confidently breaks bread, eats, and continues to talk until daybreak, and then the boy is presented alive. Paul refused to let Eutychus give up the ghost, so to speak, and in doing so, refused to let the church give up the ghost. This is not the first time scripture tells us what our faithful response to trouble should be. Prophets like Elijah and Elisha and now Paul comfort God's grief-stricken people by confronting the status quo, by assaulting the givenness of reality with their prophetic gestures of defiance. Do not be alarmed. The theme of Luke's sermon, about Paul's sermon, is Do not be alarmed, for there is life. This word and act of life rehabilitates the church, brings it back to life, transforms the church from a fearful little band huddling behind closed doors to a confident, brash band of prophets who are able to confront the world's arrangements with death by shouting, There is life! And isn't that particular profession of faith just what we need right now? A bunch of people proclaiming, there is life in the face of death and fear. At home, at school, at work, in the world, when all hope is lost, when it's time to throw in the towel, when things seem to be at their absolute worst, that's when the church clears its throats to say, do not be alarmed. There is life still. Theologian Jim Wallace has said, the greatest need in our time is not simply for kerygma, the preaching of the gospel, nor for diaconeia, service on behalf of justice, nor for charisma, the experience of the Spirit's gifts, The greatest need of our time is for koinonia, the call simply to be the church, to love one another and to offer our lives for the sake of the world. The creation of living, breathing, loving communities of faith at the local church level is the foundation of all other answers. The community of faith incarnates, embodies a whole new order, offers a visible and concrete alternative, and issues a basic challenge to the world's status quo. The church must be called to be the church, to rebuild the kind of community that gives substance. A church that encourages that goes to great lengths to show up for each other, for the wider community, for the world. We say, the church says, it doesn't have to be this way, that the worst thing is not the last thing. So here we are, friends, called to be the church, that in the face of chaos, War, rumors of war, divorce, death, sickness, depression, and pandemic. A church that runs towards trouble, 
to embrace each other and say, do not be alarmed, for there is life still. It looks like a phone call, a book study, a welcome circle, a sewing machine for our Afghan families, a listening ear, a conversation over a cup of coffee. It looks like digging into a justice system that's turned into a debtor's prison and insisting that we have to do better. It looks like fighting for equity and inclusion, weeping with those who weep, sharing a meal, and praying and pulling for each other. Church is a group of people who refuse to give up the ghost. So hear it again, church. Do not be alarmed. There is life still. So let's go prove it. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.